Greetings from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm Jim Crotty, and this is the Crotty Farm Report. Today is September 11th, 2023. Obviously, not the happiest of days to be doing the Crotty Farm Report. Uh, obviously, our hearts and minds think of all the people who perished on this day. I remember where I was. I was in Annapolis, Maryland, going to St. John's College. Uh, we are, you, as a St. John's College Santa Fe uh, student, you could spend a term at the other original campus in Annapolis. And so I was spending a term there. And I had to just drop out of class. It was so traumatic for me. And I began to write again after not writing for a long time because that, uh, that event really did um, trigger a lot of emotion in me. And I uh, wrote a piece that got syndicated pretty w- widely um, from box cutters to plowshares. Anyway, so I think about that day and the enormous uh, wellspring of emotion that I felt standing there uh, looking across at the Pentagon. Uh, I was just the day before 9-11 in New York City. So a friend of mine wanted to stay an extra day, but I had to get back for class. So that and and, and the irony of the whole thing, dark irony of the whole thing is that we were going to go look at the World Trade Center. So that's my little 9-11 anecdote um pretty pretty heavy stuff um and uh, before i get into the heart of today's topic which is the 14th amendment and whether it can be used to um uh, remove donald trump from the ballot uh just a little more about 9-11 and how uh, i think it really deeply affected this country i think i I consider it a kind of post-traumatic stress post a traumatic experience for the country and i think a lot of our uh responses including what I consider the worst uh, foreign, uh, well, active uh, warfare in my lifetime, certainly the Iraq war, uh, was born out of this sort of lurch to do something. And uh, and I think we made a lot of mistakes out of the pain of that day. And I think that pain and that trauma, not just in the Iraq war, but then the reaction of the reaction, the reaction to the reaction, um, it's just it, the country is kind of seesawed, seesawed back and forth, and um, we're going through a period of intense division in the country. And I do trace this back to 9-11. I think this is still an after effect of, the, of that trauma and then the trauma of the Iraq war on top of it. And then, um, and then amplified through, as we've discussed, I've discussed many times, social media. So um, it is appropriate that we're talking about uh, this topic today, because, you know, one could say that Trump grew out of that trauma, that he was a reaction to the Obama presidency and a kind of um, maybe a desperate search for uh, a kind of new form of nationalism, America first nationalism. Uh, but he was obviously a very polarizing president. And, um, you know, ever since he walked down the elevator in Trump Tower with his wife, Melania, uh, there, there have been multiple attempts to stop him, rightly or wrongly, whatever you take your, whatever your view of that is. But there were attempts to stop him, not only from becoming president, but once president, from remaining as president or becoming an effective president. Um, you know, he put, <laughs> he was never a president to 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 pull punches, and so uh, he 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 just kind of almost encouraged uh, resistance to him. And so, nevertheless, he won in 2016, and then after losing definitely losing in 2020 to Joe Biden, Trump decides to run again in 2024. And once again, given the nature of the man, his behavior in various areas, 
There is an army of uh, Republican anti-Trumpers, Democrat anti-Trumpers, media, big tech, various lawyers who once again want to uh, disqualify him for 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 reasons you may not agree with, but for for his behavior not only as president or after president, but most importantly for his behavior on January six. So um, a lot of these attempts to take out Trump, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast would feel were a bit of a stretch. The Steele dossier obviously was a false document created by the Hillary uh, Clinton campaign, although originally created by a Republican. Uh, and also the the whole Russian collusion narrative, the, which was proven to be false, the, or at least mostly false. Um, you know, the two, two impeachments, you can agree with they were good or right or wrong, but people felt on the right, at least, at least Trump supporters, that they were not. And the various federal indictments, as well as the attempt by Team Biden with 51 intel chiefs to uh, label the, the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. All of this, right or wrong, was an attempt to uh, stop Trump. Yet, like the Cohen brothers, the dude, Trump abides. And uh, as, as, as Biden's health falters and questions about whether Kamala Harris, the vice president, can assume the mantle of commander in chief, once again, Democrats are searching for some ace in the hole that will ensure that not only will Trump fail to win the election, but he will not even be able to run. And so lately, uh, a kind of struck in page insurance policy idea, quote unquote insurance policy, has appeared, which is using the 14th Amendment to the Constitution created after the Civil War to disqualify Trump. I'm not a lawyer, although I may go to law school at some time in the future, which, of course, people would advise me against. But that's one of my great regrets in life. I never got a law degree. But since I'm not a lawyer, I want to I like to talk to real lawyers who actually understand these issues. And uh, and so I'm bringing in today my good friend, Greg Abbott, a fellow debater from Omaha Creighton Prep. Uh, Greg is an attorney working for a company called Cosmic Wire Incorporated, a tech company focused on Web3 technology. Uh, before Cosmic Wire, uh, Greg was in private practice, specializing in commercial litigation and defamation law. And Greg has a long history of political and civic involvement in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and recently was co-chair of a successful effort to restructure city government as a member of the City Charter Commission. You enjoyed Greg the last time he's on this podcast, so here he is again. Greg Abbott, welcome to the Crowdy Farm Report. Well, it's good to be back. Thank you, Jim. Um, I do want to kind of put in one little point here about, um, I think people are trying to disqualify Trump not because they're afraid of him. I think any Democrat that reads polls would, you know, wants Trump to be the Republican nominee because he may in fact be the only Republican that Biden can actually beat. Um, I don't know if you saw the poll that came out a few days ago that compared some of the Republican challengers head to head versus Biden, but Nikki Haley was actually beating Biden, you know, by, um, I don't know, five, six, seven points, something like that. And everybody else was either tied or behind. Um, so, I mean, I, I think a lot of the, uh, I, I think a lot of the effort to disqualify Trump is really because um, they think he's, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I take this position as a Democrat. It is probably against the interests of my party to disqualify Trump. I think we'll get a, def, a different, better Republican nominee. But I think Trump, I, I actually do think that there's a good argument to disqualify him. And even if separate from the legal standpoint, I think the guy is, his commitment to the rule of law is non-existent. I think he is, um, if he's not an authoritarian, he kind of paves the path towards um, 
an America that I don't like uh, in terms of its lack of commitment to democratic principles. So um, he's the gateway drug to a, a kind of a much different America. And I think we yeah. should avoid him if at all possible. So let's let's unpack that in a bit. Uh, let me just first, I think you make an excellent point. Um, it, it, you would argue, I think that's a pretty, uh, yes, I saw the CNN poll that put Nikki Haley at 49-43 versus Biden. Uh, Trump is up by a point, I think, over Biden. But of course, that's the general, that's the popular vote. Now, I think there's a kind of a correlation on this. We don't want to get too in the weeds on this electoral stuff, but um, there is a correlation between pop national polling and how things play out in key swing states. I, Hillary, I think, won by two to three percent in the popular vote. I think Biden won by four to five percent. So there is something there about maybe there's a there's a window if the popular vote for Democrats is only two to three percent, and there's really not a window if the popular vote for Democrats is four to five percent. Even though technically speaking. Uh, Biden's vote total in key uh, electoral electoral and key swing states was a total of 40,000 votes going either way would have decided the election. But so those polls, you know, do give you a snapshot, uh, although I've opined at great length about how th this is really way too soon because. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more than that. Because Biden, more than that. it doesn't really matter if Biden is totally compassmentous, I think, you know. The uh, Fetterman example in Pennsylvania showed that the Democrats are just really good at getting out the vote. And I don't think Republicans who think somehow that because Biden is slipping a little bit in his mental capacity or somehow that uh, Kamala Harris is kind of goofy or whatever they think of her, that somehow the Democrats are not going to be able to get out the vote and win. And I, I still am very convinced that they will crush Trump if Trump is the nominee because they will just get out the vote. And, uh, you know, I, I made it this point already in a previous podcast, you know, Romney was uh, doing very well in 2012 and, and Obama was off his game, not so great in the first debates. And then, um, and so the internal polling, this has all come out since that election that the Obama folks were looking at it and they're going, you know, uh, we, our voters, a lot of our voters are, are kind of soft. They're not, they're not hardcore for Obama like they were in 2008. And it turns out the election was turned on the fact that Democrats got out those soft voters. They were three to four, out of 10, they were like three to four caring about Obama. They got the voters out. So you cannot undersell, uh, do not undersell the power of the Democratic machine. And I'm not just meaning that in the daily sense, but just the ability of Democrats to get out the vote. I do think the weird thing about this election is that Biden... <laughs> can uniquely beat one man, Donald Trump. And uh, Trump could probably beat every other Democratic candidate, but can't beat Biden. And that is something about the appeal that Biden has, I think, to older voters and sort of Democratic centrists. So, you know, uh, we'll see. That's a whole other discussion. But I think, to your point, that there is a categorical imperative, regardless of whether it's in the interest of the Democratic Party there's a belief that uh, there's a categorical imperative that a Kantian imperative that is the right thing to do to uh, raise the, the concerns about uh, January 6th as a form of insurrection or rebellion and using the 14th Amendment to disqualify the president. So let's let's unpack that a bit. Can you walk first? Let's walk through a bit if you would put on your legal scholar and legal historian hat, Gregory, and walk me through um what in your you know law school and law experience uh, background also working on the charter commission in minnesota you understand these issues to some extent very well 
what were the founders think? What were what what, what were the uh, legislators in post Civil War thinking when they created the Fourteenth Amendment vis a vis the Confederates? And were, was it only specific to the Feder- Confederates, or how how are they thinking that it might be applied in the future? Well, you have to understand. Uh, excuse me. Um, this was 1865, right? So the war had just ended. <laughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. So this was 1865. The war had just ended. So all of this was right at the top of their mind. They wanted to make sure. Um, I think in particular, they wanted to make sure that um, um, people who had served in the United States government or in state governments and had sworn an oath to the Constitution and then turned their back on that oath and then supported the Confederate states and the rebellion weren't able to kind of then slide back into government uh, after the war ended. Right. So there was there was an effort. If, if you if you went to the other side and you had for, you know, if you had sworn an oath to the United States of America and then you gave that up and, and rebelled, you weren't going to be able to slide back into your former office. Um, and um, I mean, I actually have the text of Section three of the 14th Amendment right here in front of me, which is the which and I, and I think in a case like this, it's always good to go back to the actual language because, um, um, there's, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy, easy for people, partisans to talk around stuff. But, you know, the language, I think, is pretty clear. So um, no person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Congress can waive that uh, restriction by a vote of two-thirds of each house. So, um, so it, it it says you cannot if you've if you've sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution, and then you later um, engage in insurrection rebellion. Um, you cannot hold any office, civil or military, under the United States, right? So the question becomes, you know, and and as the like the article you forwarded to me, right, is is the president an officer of the United States? Does this apply to Trump in his capacity as president? And I think the answer is pretty clearly yes. Um, uh, who is an officer? Well, an officer is somebody who holds an office. I mean, the, the basic dictionary definition says um, uh, an officer is a person who has a position of authority in a hierarchical organization. Or um, another definition from the Oxford uh, Dictionary, an officer is a holder of a public, civil, or ecclesiastical office. So, you know, the president is the chief of the executive branch. The president is the chief officer of the executive branch. Let's just stop there on terms of officer. I want to, there is the argument that those who work for Trump, just like in the in the military, there's officers, but they are not the top rank. They are officers. Um, now, yes, he holds the office uh, of the president. So in that sense, you're right. But I think the intent of that article I sent you was there is a distinction between the president and other people who work for him as officers. You you don't find that persuasive? No, I think it's frankly kind of a sophistry, to be honest. Um, okay. okay, fair enough. Uh, so, um, and the, by the way, Article 2 of the Constitution, which defines the presidency and the powers of the presidency, 
has, I think, something like nine separate references to, quote, the office of the president. Uh, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. He shall hold his office uh, during the term of four years. Um, uh, there are a number of there are a number of other references like that. So um, both the presidents and the vice president are declared um, if they're uh, Congress may by law provide for the case of removal, death or resignation or inability, both of the president and vice president declaring what officer shall then act as president. Right. So the the actual text of Article two says who shall act as um, uh, what officer shall then act as president. Right. So the, the concept presidency is in is 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 act enacted by an officer anyway i mean i mean i think it's fairly straightforward the cases the article you sent me you know former attorney general michael mccasey um the cases he cites i mean there are supreme court cases that talk about the distinction between the president and officers but those come from other provisions of the constitution and actually from separate statutes and the way those statutes are written is they do distinguish between the presidency and the, and the subordinate officers the problem is the uh, the 14th amendment does not make that distinction so um you know in very interesting so um so that brings up the second question of which you read the, the definition of rebellion or insurrection um is the case for using the 14th amendment contingent the fact that Trump was not found guilty in the second impeachment case of insurrection and in the DC case, Jack Smith's DC case, is not actually charged with insurrection. He's charged with defrauding the voters. Is that is that determinative in, 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 in this question of the 14th Amendment vis-a-vis -vis Trump? No, I mean, I think the impeachment proceedings are kind of on their own planet. I mean, you can't really you can't really use them as precedent for anything because it's not a that's not a criminal case um it's a political it's a political case and and, and I, I will say that that you know a majority of the senate did vote to convict him right so the question becomes you know is there a finding of fact that he committed these things and you could argue that they found him uh, i mean you, they found him guilty but not guilty enough to remove him from office you know the standard for removal from office is different than the standard for finding of making a factual finding about whether he did something or didn't do something. But let's look at um, that bright line, though. If you, I'm sorry again, but if you look at that bright line. If the standard is, if he's not guilty enough to be impeached, it seems like wouldn't the standard be higher to be removed from a ballot? Well, no. I mean, I think the question becomes: Does the does the Fourteenth Amendment apply? You know, did he in fact engage in um, rebellion or in, insurrection? I, I'll I'll stipulate he didn't rebel. I, the question is whether he's part of an insurrection or not. Um, and I think, you know, and and I think that's a factual question. I think you know, if if any state official, any Secretary of State or other official is going to um, bar him from being on the ballot. I think there it's incumbent upon them, I think, to actually conduct their own fact-finding hearing to see whether or not um, the facts justify such an exclusion. Because, I mean, there is a due process element here. You do have a constitutional right to run for public office. Um, um, the action of a state barring him from the ballot uh, does deprive him of a of a right, of a constitutional right, and, and that triggers the due process obligations in the Constitution. And so, in, and if you're going to deprive somebody, if the government is going to act to deprive you of something, they have to engage in due process before they do it. 
which means that he's you know he's got to have a challenge he's got to have a right to like challenge whatever factual I mean, there needs to be a, like a, some sort of hearing. I mean, it doesn't have to be a court hearing. It could be an administrative law hearing. But there has to be some proceeding where the 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 evidence can be advanced both for and against whether or not he was involved in an insurrection or not. So are there so each state uh, like Colorado has begun this process. So each state has its own venue for this adjudication to occur. Right. I mean, it's it established that in law or is it. Is it kind of ad hoc? I mean, how does it? Well, go I mean, it's, this has never happened before, so it's all ad hoc. I mean, I don't know that there's any provision in state law that governs such a procedure. I mean, I would argue that it's got to be. Um, I mean, but there's no no provision in state law that prevents you from doing it either. I just think that I think that it's an easy like. Let's say Colorado bars him from the ballot just with a stroke of a pen. Mm -hmm. I think he goes immediately to court and challenges that, and then I think a court just says, "Well, your due process rights were in, were violated, so it's an, in, an invalid act." And I think that just punts it back down uh, to to the state officials to like, okay, fine, let's we'll give you due process and then we'll make our decision. I right. think it's, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, this all could take so much time that it's kind of silly. But uh, yeah. But, uh, you know. So so if let's say in this case, Colorado, just because people are intrigued by this process of how it will unspool, as it were. So Colorado, I think there's a group actually formed. Uh, to to make the case that he should be removed from the ballot in very, in each state there seems to be a group. So let's say this group in Colorado. So is it they petition whom they the the Secretary of State uh, who who does who oversees the elections who actually well, stroke is the stroke who's holding the pen as it were figuratively speaking to remove Donald J Trump from the ballot. Well, I mean, every state is different. I think Colorado, as I understand it, is unique because they have a, a state law that gives uh, individual citizens standing to like file a claim in court to get him knocked off the ballot. Mm -hmm. So um, so in that sense, they're going to have a process there. Um, um, you know, different. You know, I think in Minnesota, for example, there's no such you know law. I think I think in Minnesota, the secretary of state probably could on his own initiative or in response to you know some sort of citizen complaint. Uh, determine whether or not that's true or not. I, I do think that whatever determination is made by these folks, it has to be based on either um, a, a due process hearing where they take evidence. I mean, I could see them adopting, like, like for example, if they were to adopt the conclusions of the January sixth committee, and and you know, because all of that testimony was under oath, and you know, there are findings of fact that were you know the committee engaged in. Um, I think that might be a valid basis for them to say, you know. Um, you know, on the basis of this formal proceeding that was conducted by the House, um, that we're going to exclude him. Uh, but I don't think you could just do it arbitrarily. I mean, you just can't. I mean, the Secretary of State just can't say, you know, in my opinion, he was an insurrectionist. You're barred. I mean, I think that gets struck down very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, although gonna, I, mean, I don't think know. there's anything in the Fourteenth Amendment that, from what you read, that says this is actually has to be a provable fact. It doesn't say no, that. No, it doesn't. That's that's an interesting, that's a very interesting point, Jim, that you raised, because it's like, because it, it is kind of like, it kind of, you know, it kind of really just kind of glosses over the question of like, how do you prove whether somebody's involved in an insurrection or not? Now, in 1865, it may have been pretty obvious, right? In 1865, it's like, okay, like, you know, the funny thing about this, I, I was thinking about, um, this is going to be kind of an extended um anecdote but i think it's it's very useful to think about um like like robert e lee for example the commanding general of Con confederate forces um in the civil war um um 
you know, it's like, would you have to prove that he engaged in insurrection and rebellion? It's, it's an obvious, notorious fact that he took a commission in the Confederate Army. You know, when the Civil War started in 1861, uh, you know, Lee was an officer in, in, the, in, the, in the Union forces, in the U.S. military. And there was a kind of debate for a, for a period of time. I don't know whether it was weeks or months, but it's like, which side is Lee going to pick? Is he going to, is he going to like, um, I mean, there was a, there was a chance that Lee was going to work as a, as a military officer on the Union side. And then he, had, you know, as a resident of Virginia, he decided that Virginia, his loyalty to Virginia over, overcame his loyalty to the nation as a whole, and he ended up being a Confederate general. Um, so you, in, in that instance, you wouldn't have to prove it, right? Because it's just an obvious uh, fact that's not in dispute. But the, the thing about the way they wrote this thing is, is you know, the idea that somehow that this, this disqualification doesn't apply to the presidency, it's kind of interesting because under no circumstance, I mean, this thing was, I think, expressly written to prevent Confederate military officers from re-entering the Union military, right? I mean, I think that was the, the primary basis of this. And in particular, I think it was kind of written with Robert E. Lee in mind, because, because um, um, you know, when, when the war was over, you know, what happened was when the Civil War started and Lee picked the Confederate side, the, um, the federal government uh, basically confiscated Lee's um, um, land. In his estate, and uh, and they used in it in every by the way in every every Lee's land and his 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 large multi hundred acre estate is now today is now known as Arlington National Cemetery, um, and um, that happened fairly early in the war. It became obviously a a, a cemetery and a graveyard for uh, Union Army dead. When the war ended. Um, uh, and a couple of years passed, but but Lee actually petitioned the U.S. government to compensate him for taking his land. And by the way, the Constitution provides for that. You know, you cannot take private land for public purpose without providing uh, adequate compensation. And, and, um, the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, due process. So, um, and the federal government refused to pay him. And Lee was forced to uh, file a claim in federal court in order to get paid. And this lasted for years. And finally, the U.S. Supreme Court was the one that basically said, yes, you have to pay him. And so the, ultimately, the federal government wrote him a check, fairly big check, I think, mm -hmm. you know, because that was very valuable land. You know, it's a lot, right over right across the river in Arlington, mm -hmm. you know, lovely view of the capital and everything. Mm -hmm. So the idea that somehow that they would write an amendment to the Constitution that would prohibit Robert E. Lee from being a military officer again, but but would, would would let him run for president and be eligible to run for president, I think is beyond the pale, right? The same people who were like hounding Lee to like take his land and 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 gleefully were refusing to pay him for his land after the war or were not the same people who were writing a, writing an amendment that would say, okay, fine, but you can you can't be a you can't be a military officer and we're not going to pay you for your land because you uh, killed lots of Union soldiers, but it's okay if you run for president. I mean, I just, I just don't think that makes any sense. And, and, and if you look at like kind of, you know, originalism, mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to interpret the Constitution. There's kind of this kind of original intent idea that uh, Justice Scalia was the biggest uh, proponent of. Biggest well, what, and then well, there's, like, go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, what we don't want, though, is a precedent where, you know, in the future, rogue secretaries of state, uh, governors say, you know, we don't like this guy for X, Y, Z, and we're going to remove him from the ballot. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty dramatic act. I can understand Jefferson Davis uh, and Robert E. Lee, even though his reasons are probably 
less uh, less uh, dastardly than Jeff Davis. Um, he, he he felt, you know, obviously his claim anyway was that he felt uh, duties to his state uh, divided between his country and his state. But um, the the thing is, it, there is this question of evidence, though. Like, so what are you using? Let for- me, but let me let me bump in real quick, though. But the, you know, it's actually in the 19th century. It was uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln did not appear on the ballot in the Southern states in the 1860 election. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's right. that's absolutely right. So he 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 accumulated his electoral um, and uh, majority. Oh, wow. um, you know, in the North. Wow. Well, you could. Oh, yeah. You would definitely know there's a second civil war coming. <laughs> if, well, no, Trump, I, if Trump I mean, was denied yeah, the ballot in 20 states, I mean, 15 I, states. I, mean, I think the answer to your question is is like, sure, I, I think it's, you know, we've been lulled into kind of this false sense of security, I think, over the last few decades about how the way elections operate in this country. I mean, if you go back to the 19th century in the United States, it's like, uh, it was a lot more corrupt. There was a lot more um, patronage and feather bedding and, and um, 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 you know, knocking people off the ballot was kind of routine back then. So so we, we've gotten, you know, I don't know, soft. Um, and I, I think the answer to your question is, you know, I mean, if it violates the Constitution, I mean, this is what federal courts are for, right? I mean, I'm a lawyer, right? Everybody's like, oh, my God, there's going to be a lawsuit. There's going to be a lawsuit. I'm like, bring it on. This is what courts are for to resolve these disputes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to not try to knock somebody off a ballot for something other than um, insurrection or rebellion, you know, you don't have a legal basis to do it. Um, you're going to you're going to get slapped down by a federal court. So it's interesting, like the, the human. That's so wild because I just don't I thank you. That history is fascinating. I I think to to end this point, though, is a way a state official could argue whether, you know, it's a red state or a blue state or a purple state that there is enough evidence. I mean, we have several indictments. We have his behavior and actions on January 6th, whether you think they were, uh, you know, if they were if they inspired a seditious conspiracy. Nobody has said that it's actually an insurrection and not even not even Jack Smith. Uh, nobody is actually anybody convicted uh, related to January 6th has been convicted of seditious conspiracy. They have not been convicted of a, of an insurrection. Nevertheless, you know, uh, there is a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of case law now being already being established in these various cases. The Proud Boy, all the all the people have been convicted related to January 6th, the indictments against Trump, his own speeches. Um, and so this all raises the question that I do believe that at least theoretically, uh, some committed person wants to get Trump off the ballot in New Hampshire or Colorado or wherever, uh, could, could reasonably come up with the case. Um, the, the bigger question though, and I think uh, the, 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 those who oppose this use of this strategy, I think are making it, by the way, you're hearing my trains in the background. This is, uh, one reason we call it Prodmo because you have to put up with the trains in the background, but, um, the uh, the question is, even if you feel Trump is an insurrection, you know, a seditious conspirator, conspirator, or a insurrectionist, or just a bad guy, isn't it better to leave it up to the voters to decide that? Why why take this action, even though practically speaking, as you already noted, it may not get through the courts in time to make any difference. Why take this action? Why not just leave it up to the courts? Not the court, excuse me, the ballot box. Well, 
I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's a fair argument that this sense of dangerous precedent, right? I've, I've seen some dialogue amongst Democrats, which is, if we do this, that that just, you know, all we're going to do is teach the Republicans to um, do it to us. And it's like, do we want to, we do, do we want to go down that road? Um, um, I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that, uh, I mean, I think there's a case here. I mean, I, I think he, he did organize uh, and inspire and, and, you know, one level or another, he in, in inspired and directed some of the events of January 6th. Um, and I think it's a good, I, I think there's a, I mean, it's not a open and shut case, but it's, it's not a ridiculous case either. I think, I think it's, and, and, and if you conclude that he was definitely trying to interfere with the lawful operation of government for the purpose of trying to stay in office, um, without authorization, you know, um, um, illegally, um, you know, I mean, do you want that person in the Oval Office again? You know, it's like, I mean, there are Democrats. I, th I think this is a bit extreme, but I, I mean, I, you can't really say no, which is like, okay, if we elect Trump again, are we ever going to have another fair election? Um, because we will have we will have shown to all of the, the various forces in American politics that this kind of behavior works. Uh, you can obstruct the process. You can, you know, block ballot counting. You can huff and you can puff. You can get, you can get your people marching down, you know, Constitution Avenue, and and uh, it works. And once that happens, once that once that precedent is set, you know, no one no one will ever respect an actual vote count again. So, and that so that, that I think is worth fighting for. You know, yeah. regardless of what the consequences are. No, I mean, I think that's your bright. I think that's your categorical imperative argument. I think it's persuasive. I just think the other side of that, though, is it may be the right thing to do. There are a lot of right things to do in life, um, but we don't do them. Like we could do this because it's the right thing to do, but we choose not to do this because because first because because the precedent that'll be used against us. And and because of the damage it might do to the country. I mean, when you really think, I mean, the effects of it may be so much far, far more encompassing and terrible in terms of really causing uh, those who claim that the system is rigged against them and the Democrats have screwed Trump and, the, and, and that, that he really did win 20, in 2020. All those people will be hyper animated. Uh, if he's if his name is stricken from the ballot, and it would lead to even greater civil strife. So there's, I think that has to be taken into account uh, on these things. And then the third question is, and I think this is actually fairly persuasive. There's this argument in Republican and conservative circles. I'm an independent, but there's this argument that says, you know, the Democrats are afraid of the people being able to decide that the Democrats are patronizing and infantilizing. And they're afraid that the people have given the given the freedom to choose. They're afraid they're not going to win the argument that Trump is an insurrectionist or Trump is a danger to the country. They're afraid they're going to lose the argument. So because they're afraid they're going to lose the argument, they're just going to circumvent the ballot process and remove them from the ballot. What do you say to that? Well, I don't think it's a circumvention. I mean, I think it's I mean, you know, unless unless you want to say the Constitution, I mean, the, the 14th Amendment is part of the Constitution. I mean, this this provision is, in fact, part of the Constitution. And if you just want to say, well, you know, um, let's just have people vote on whether this 14th Amendment applies or not. You know, there's no point in having a Constitution. It's all up, all up for grabs. Right. The whole point of the Constitution is to create rules which can't be changed just to suit the political convenience of the moment. 
Okay. So, so my argument is, okay, you want Trump, you know, too bad, so sad. He's violated this constitutional provision. He's not eligible anymore. Um, um, now, if you want to change that, there's a whole procedure to amend the constitution. Go for it. You know, that's, that's a legitimate argument, mm -hmm. but, but, um, uh, and, and I, and I think, um, we, the problem, and this is true of both sides of the political equation these days, I think it, it's, we're focusing on kind of whether the Republican voters are going to accept this or not. But I mean, I think there is a trend in, in the country just simply not accept an adverse result in, a, in an election. It's like, my guy didn't win, therefore the whole thing is illegitimate, right? And it's like, I, I don't, I think if you, if you can, you know, if you, if you, if you don't want to fight them on that, you know, you've, you've lost the war. I mean, you've, you've already, you know, it's like, okay, fine. The mob, it's, it becomes a very short trip to mob rule at this point. The people who can shout the loudest are the ones that win all the all the political power and um you know either you're a rule of law country or you're not a rule of law country mm -hmm. and um that's not really something we should be voting on frankly so I, I, mean, I, I guess know. my point is not i think i think you're again making the excellent point about it is a categorical imperative that we punish insurrection by denying that person the right to run for office is that in any way modified should it ever be modified by the consequences of taking that action? You often say, I quote you all the time, um, one of your best arguments I've heard over years is the Constitution is not a suicide pact. And if deploying the 14th Amendment causes the country to break apart when the name of Donald Trump was removed from the ballot, looking back, was that a good decision, even if it was a categorical imperative to do so? Isn't it worth looking at the effects of those decisions? I think if we are so cowardly that we cannot enforce this provision of the Constitution, we have lost. Um, I mean, if if we if if we have to let, I mean, if, if we if we honestly conclude that Donald Trump has supported insurrection. Mind you, I mean, this all asterisk here, we have to prove this, right? There has to be a, a hearing and we have to, you know. Um, um, but if we conclude that fact and then we decide not to enforce that provision because we're afraid of the result, well, then the country's already gone to a hell in a handbasket and it's kind of pointless. Okay. Uh, I mean, to me, to me, this is like, you know, this is a critical moment in American history. Either, either we, either we, uh, uh, obey the rules that we set for ourselves or we don't. And, and, and we do this in a context in which, you know, politics, I mean, part of the problem is American politics has become so cynical. Um, and a lot of voters on both sides don't believe the rules matter because the rules are only for other people. You know, the rules, you know, they, they feel like the elites are manipulating the rules for their benefit or Republicans are manipulating the rules for the benefit of, of their partisans and vice versa. Right. So it's like the the commitment of the average voter these days to kind of the, the process of democracy is really, really low. And to me, your argument says it's our, it's too late. The we're past the tipping point. We might as well just kind of go with you know if, if you're going to be really angry about it, well, we won't enforce the rules. And you know, to me, that's the end of the country. I mean, that's, but I, that's I a, guess my point is, I mean, I, and I, I want to get off this and end with one other point that we need to discuss before we end. I, I'm trying to say like, no, I understand your argument that you know we either are a country and we enforce the the the, the, the rules, but. Um, in this, in this case, there are other remedies. Like there are other remedies to deal with whether you call it a seditious conspiracy or, or an insurrection. 
Trump's behavior broadly, there are the remedies of the courts that's already being used. There is a remedy in the ballot box, which is being used. And um, there's there's other remedies. The, the, the remedy of the 14th Amendment short circuits all the other remedies because it takes away, it takes away another right you have, which is to vote, right? The, re- the, re- the, the right for you to vote for Donald Trump is taken away. You don't even have the right. So I'm just saying in a situation, isn't it prudent for uh, Americans to say, look, this is in the Constitution, the right to remove him from the ballot. But should we, when we have other remedies to to solve this problem of Donald Trump, including the ballot box and including the court of law? Well, I just don't know. The, I mean, the problem I have with I mean, I, I am of the opinion that Joe Biden will beat Donald Trump next year if, if those are the two nominees. Right. We I mean, agree, I think, we agree okay. completely. <laughs> All right. So but it's not for sure. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, Biden could have a senior moment in the middle of a debate. Right. I mean, anything anything is possible in a presidential debate. I mean, stuff happens that no one predicts. That changes things. You know, who could have predicted that James Comey would come down from on high and say, I'm not going to charge Hillary? And then who could predict that, you know, like seven days before the election, that Comey would send a letter saying, well, oh, there's this, this thing we got to check out over here with, you know, Anthony Weiner's laptop, you know, so maybe we still are going to do this. You know, it's like, I mean, um, um, foreign policy crisis, you know, uh, people, st- you know, Bob Dole very famously fell off a stage. Um, Gerald Ford very famously would tumble and, and, you know, declared that Poland was not dominated by the Soviet Union in debate. And so, um, um, and I think if there's anything I know about Donald Trump is that he just doesn't care about the rules at all, at all. I mean, I, I mean, my concern, frankly, is that Trump, if Trump gets reelected, he's just going to gut the Department of Justice and put, you know, put people like Jeffrey Clark in charge. He's going to pardon himself. He's going to pardon everybody else who was involved in January 6th. Um, he's going to, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's um, um, Trump, Trump's personality does not lend itself to like, okay, I can't do that. Or, or that would be a bad thing for, you know, if, it, if, if Trump, be, if Trump has the power and it benefits himself, he's going to do it regardless of whether it conforms with any norm or law or custom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very dangerous guy to have in the presidency. So and I think the second, the second time around, I think he's going to be better at it. I think it, it, one of the things about the first Trump term is that it took him several years to figure out how to deal with the bureaucracy. Uh, and, and I think he's you know, having learned all those lessons. I don't think he's I don't think he's got the learning curve problem that he had the first time. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I, I, I think you make a very persuasive argument. Um, and I would really want people listening to this podcast to weigh in on their view of whether the 14th Amendment is in order here. The last point I think on this that I that I think a lot of people are going to be uh, at least thinking, and you and I have discussed this before. Um, it's it's the question is about where's the bright line with Trump uh, opposing the certification and Democrats in the past, obviously uh, in almost every election recently, the Republicans have won. Uh, Democrats have protested for good reason in 2000, I think, uh, in terms of Bush v. Gore. But again, when Kerry, I worked on the Kerry campaign in 2004, uh, there was a lot of action briefly uh, that Trump, that somehow Kerry lost Ohio by fraudulent means. And um, and then there was um, calls to decertify the election. There were calls to decertify the election again in 2016. I think over 50 Democrats or close to that uh, vote uh, chose to decertify the election. So that is the right to not to not to vote for certification. 
Although some people argue the whole drama around certification is really what the so-called insurrection was about. And that if you vote to decertify, you're just saying it needs to go back to the states. So some people will say, well, I mean, you some have people, to say some we... people, just let me finish. Some people will say that, that, that this is really splitting hairs here when um, Trump was calling for decertifying, which many Democrats called in terms of his election 2016. Um, and yes, his supporters went way beyond. Uh, they were trying to stop the certification. But the question is, it's really about certification. And so is that is that something that the folks who want to use the 14th Amendment really, is that something you want to um, base the claim on when Democrats themselves have openly called for, have said that Trump is an illegitimate president, have protested his election, and they have protested other elections and voted to decertify the election. Why is that I, I, any different? Because it's all legal. I mean, none of that is, none of that is, a, 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 you have a First Amendment right to say that that so-and-so is an Ill, illegitimate president. You have a perfect right to say that an election should be decertified. And the pro, What Trump did was he organized a, a series of actions designed to circumvent the legal process. He calls up the Georgia Secretary of State and asks for 11, an extra 11,000 votes, right? He he tries to convince Mike Pence to, without actually having the, the authority to do so, to kick out the, the, the certified electors that were coming into him, right? I mean, there is a process by which you can reject the, these, these certified electoral votes, right? You have to get, you know, a, a certain percentage of the House of Representatives and a certain percentage of the senators um, in that in that January sixth proceeding to to vote not to accept them, right? right. Well, the, you know, well they could count votes. They knew they weren't going to be able to get people to do that. So the only way they had to do it was to do it by illegal or extra legal or unconstitutional means. That's the difference between, you know, and a lot of those a lot of these like you know voting against the certification. You talk about the Democrats that voted against in twenty sixteen. It's like that. I mean, that's just a symbolic protest vote, right? I mean, it's yeah. like you know, so the, I mean. The, yeah. So your point is about process, that the bright line between voting, you know, is your first amendment right, obviously, is to, to decertify, vote to decertify. The process question in the in, in terms of Pence, um, my question is, Trump could be wrong on the process, asking asking Mike Pence to stop the certification. Um but is that criminal to ask Mike Pence to do that? Yes, because it's 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 he, he because there there is no law authority or or concept which gives Pence unilateral ability to reject electoral votes. Okay, so let's just say that's criminal. The Georgia case, obviously, Republicans and hard writers and Trumpers are saying, you know, it's sort of like saying. Um, you know, I need 20,000. I mean, th that call can be interpreted a couple different ways. Um, not that go get these. I need this amount of votes in, in a recount or however we go about it to get over the top. I think that's a debatable call, but you and I will disagree on that. I think the Pence thing, though, is the bright line. And I think for Mike Pence, that's the bright line because he right. claimed and I think, I mean, the Georgia case will get litigated. Obviously, we'll have an answer on that. But I think the most important thing that separates the Trump claims from anybody else who voted or wants to see their certification is that he did an extra legal maneuver in asking the vice president of the United States to decertify. And, and, and that's the bridge too far. And so that would really, at the end of the day, because 
any attempt at the Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, has to resolve what is the actual crime or action that Trump took beyond what others who voted for decertification have taken. And it's clearly the extra legality of his request to Mike Pence. Would you not agree? Well, yeah, and I think you know, there's a, there's been a lot of talk on on uh, the Trump side about you know Stacey Adams never conceded, Hillary didn't concede, you know, blah 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 blah. But Stacey Adams never organized a giant protest at the Georgia State Capitol designed to prevent you know Brian Kemp from being uh, chosen governor. You know, Hillary uh, Hillary conceded like the next day, I think, uh, or like the like the second day after. I mean, it was it was it was like I mean, and you can say I don't think this is a legitimate result, but I'm not going to stand in the way of it. That is a perfectly legitimate legal legal position to take. What yeah. you can't do is organize a conspiracy in order to prevent uh, the the law from from you know um, recognizing that people's votes have been counted. Uh, Gore litigated uh, Florida to death, right? I mean, but but when when all of his legal appeals were ended by the Supreme Court in early December of 2000, Al Gore said, "I disagree with the result uh, very vigorously, but but it's done with, and I'm I'm ceasing any activity." Right? So, I mean, there's a lot of room for. Tr I mean, if Trump wants to go around telling people that the election got stolen. Um, he's perf that's he has a first amendment right to make that statement. What he doesn't have what he doesn't have a right to do is try to organize an effort to prevent the government from actually uh implementing the results of the election. I so, completely agree. I mean you and I are completely aligned on that. And I think that a lot of people who are Trump supporters, uh, I, you know, I understand why you like Donald Trump. I understand why you like his policies. Uh, I understand why you like his kind of ribald personality. His kind of middle finger to the establishment, his ability to speak to the working class uniquely a billionaire as a billionaire touch for the working class. It's truly amazing. There's many good things to say about Donald Trump. But the bright line for me, and I obviously for you, Gregory, is asking the vice president of the United States to do something that is not within his purview or power to act outside the Constitution to decertify election results was wrong and it was criminal. Now, I don't know if it amounts to an insurrection, that's up to courts to decide, but it definitely was wrong and disqualified for Donald Trump from being president. Uh, you know, that's just that's just a fact. Uh, I happen to believe that maybe the, the ballot box is the way to go, but I understand your argument. I think you make it very well. And I'm curious to see what other people think. Well, Greg, before we end, um, thank you, by the way, for unpacking this. I mean, it's a very interesting discussion and there's just so much here. Um, this is 9-11. I don't know if you have anything you want to end with or say about 9-11 and, and how it has, um, you know, the trauma of that day it is so still emotional for me and how that trauma of that day has kind of trickled down to the present moment. Are you seeing it the way I see it? Like that we are still in a post 9-11 moment? How do you, how do you, uh, what, what, well, what are I, your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this day? I don't know about a post 9-11 moment. I mean, I think I, I, this anniversary hit me this year more than it has in the past. And I spent like a couple hours, frankly, just kind of like reading um, like little online biographies of like some of the the people who were on the planes, you know, um, you know, United uh, 151, American uh, or 170, United 175, and then American 11. And it was like, uh, including the guy that managed to leave a voicemail for his wife, you know, literally minutes before his plane hit um, the towers. And um, um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a hard day. I mean, it really is just, it's like, and 
I, I mean, I, I think the, you know, I, I, if that happened again, I, I wonder if the country would unite itself the way it did, like it did 22 years ago. I mean, I, I almost feel like, uh, I, I almost feel like that, that it would immediately be used for partisan purposes on both sides. You know, it's like, you know, because there was, I mean, it, it took some time and it eventually came out, you know, the, the whole kind of truther, 9-11 truther stuff and, and, um, you know, um, oh, it was an inside job and it was organized by people trying to manipulate the stock prices and who made money off 9-11 and all that stuff. All that stuff eventually came out. And but it took months, you know, in some cases, even uh, maybe a year or two before some of the really cynical takes on 9-11 happened. I wonder, I, I don't think that would, I think it would be a much quicker process now. I think you'd see like within a day or two, people starting saying like, you know, Bush did it or Trump did it, or Biden did it. And and that really bothers me. I just really think the politics of this country has gone to hell, frankly. And um, um, and I, I mean, I honestly think that social media uh, and cable news um, are frankly destroying the country in a lot of ways. And and um, I just wonder what, I wonder what real patriotism, I mean, if we got attacked, if Pearl Harbor happened tomorrow, how would we respond? I really am curious about that in a kind of a very negative way, so. Yeah. That's very useful because the thing that as I'm as you're saying that though I'm thinking about how divisive the 2000 election was, uh, and and how emotional it was, and yet even with that election, we did come together, however briefly after uh, after 9/11. So sometimes it takes a trauma to end the partisanship, and it did it did last for a little while. I mean, I'm forever uh, have as you know, a tremendous amount of animosity to the Bush family for manipulating 9-11 to get us into Iraq. But Rock, you know, yeah. I, I, I really can't forgive that, you know, in the ways you can't forgive Trump. I just can't forgive the Bush family for that. But that said, I do think right after 9-11, we were, just like actually when COVID hit, there was a moment of unity in this country. So there is something beneath all the rhetoric and the crazy polarization you see in social media and, and on cable, I kind of have to push back a little bit because I do think another 9-11 would bring us together again. But I don't want there to be a neither 9-11 to bring us together again. But I'm just, I think that might have to be the case because we are very divided as a country and everything around Trump is so divisive that until he's off the stage, I don't see the hope for the country coming together. But as you said, elections are really unpredictable. So you just don't know. what You don't, for example, know how the Iowa voters are going to vote. You don't know what's what's in their hearts right. and minds. They may say one thing to, to, to uh, pollsters. You don't know. They may come out of that and saying, you know, Tim Scott's our man or Nikki Haley's our, our woman. You don't know. And so um, some very surprising things could come down the pike here that um, maybe good for the country. Well, I think 2024 is going to turn out to be the biggest political experiment ever conducted in this country. Because, I, I mean, I have a hard time. It's it's one thing for Trump to kind of consolidate his base in the response to these indictments. But for people to actually sit through these trials that are going to happen, you know, one right after the other, beginning in January of 2024. Um, um, I mean, I got to think that that's going to have some serious effect. I mean, even on his ability to potentially to win the Republican nomination. I mean, I know the polling doesn't support that right now and 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 whatnot, but um, um, I mean, my God, we've never been through this. We have a situation where he could actually get convicted in Georgia and potentially be in jail while he's on the ballot as a Republican nominee. And what happens if he wins the election from jail? 
Um, I mean, I, you know, um, oh my God. I mean, you know, what, what, what does that look like? I mean, you know, I mean, I know there are people talking about the, the, the supremacy clause of the constitution means that the federal government would go get him out of jail so he could perform his functions as a federal officer. But, um, my God, what does that look like? I mean, it just, exactly. it's just, it's, you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's that we have things could happen next year that, <laughs> I mean, not only have they never happened, but no one's ever even thought they could happen. I mean, it's, it's uh, you and I yeah. are going to have to get on and talk about the supremacy clause because I guarantee you, there is no doubt he's going to be guilty of something next year. There, oh, there's I, yeah, no way, yeah. no way he goes four and zero. There's just no way he goes four and zero. I, I think no the, I, I think that the documents case in Florida is the one that really is. Is I mean, I think that's open and shut. I mean, he just basically, you know, he was asked to return them. He didn't return them. He lied about having them. And it's 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 and I think he's got a favorable judge down there, but all she can do is basically delay for him. I don't think she can. I mean, you know, if, if he gets a, if that if that trial happens before the election, he's in deep shit. I, think, um, I don't think the judges in all the in all the proud boy cases, you know, there's a Trump judge there. It really doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There was a Trump judge in the Fortenberry case, for example. It doesn't really matter. I mean, right. at the well, end of the day, it's... there's just only so much a judge can do. I mean, to be right. honest. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the the problem with the Georgia case is it's a RICO case, which takes a long time to try. I mean, Fannie, Fannie Willis was estimating like four months to try the thing. Right. She's got another RICO case that was against this uh, hip hop artist. That's you know, it's like it's it's like two or three years old at this point. It's just right. I I don't think the Georgia case happens before the, the right. election. I, I just don't practically. Um, I think the documents case has got a good shot. I think the January 6th case, that judge seems to be committed to a very rapid docket. I think that that case will happen before the election. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, um, but Jesus, it's like, I mean, I, I mean, mean, yeah, when I when I say this is a giant political science experiment, I really, really mean it. I mean, we are exactly. guinea pigs in, in, the, in this in this crucible of democracy right now it's just uh, you know may you live in interesting times the may you live in interesting the times well thank you gregory uh for being on the podcast today i really appreciate it uh this has been the karate farm report from omaha nebraska on a very sad day 9-11 but um you know it's just a very sad day that's all i can say so thanks for coming gregory and uh we'll see you guys next time this is jim karate bye-bye <laughs>